turning your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 59. As we come to the end of Luke chapter 12. This is the word of God. And he said also to the people, When ye see a cloud rise out from the west, straightway ye say, There cometh a shower. And so it is. And when ye see the south wind blow, ye say, There will be heat. And it comes to pass. Ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky and of the earth. How is it that ye not discern this time? Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence that thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he haul thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer. And the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, <clears throat> thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last might. Amen. The grass withers in the flower phase, but the word of our God lasts forever. Children, how many of you have noticed the snow in the mountains this past winter? Right? There's snow all over the place, isn't there? It looks beautiful, doesn't it? And you can tell when snow will fall on the mountains all around us when it rains in Las Vegas or in Henderson or in Peron. We know that there's going to be snow in the mountains. You see, the mountains kids are way up there in the clouds, right? And they get snow while we in the valley get rain. And God has made the world with such wonderful order that when we see clouds gathering, <clears throat> we know that a storm is coming. Well, today our Lord Jesus tells us that we are also to discern or know how to interpret the events of the world around us when it comes to Bible prophecy. To be able to understand what is happening in the world and the why so that we do not live without hope or without being prepared. This passage may be simple at the first reading, but there's some depth to it that I hope to extract from this afternoon. So we'll have two points. Discern this time and make peace before you are judged. <clears throat> As we come to the end of chapter 12, our Lord continues to address the people regarding how God cares for his people, about our being ready <clears throat> for the return of Christ, on how we are to avoid hypocrisy, to avoid covetousness, and how his gospel at times brings division among our own family. And he spoke <clears throat> to those who believed in him in the verses prior to this one. We considered that two weeks ago. Now, he turns to speak to those who do not believe in him. Notice at verse 54, he says, it says here, and he said also to the people. Yet at verse 41 and 42, we learn how he was addressing both the ministers and those who believe in him. Look at verse 41. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even to all? <clears throat> and the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord is make, shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season? You see, at that point, the Lord is speaking to the ministers and to those who follow him, who believe in him. But now the Lord turns to the rest of the people. Now, this passage of Luke is very similar to what we have in Matthew chapter 16. And if you are able, turn there with me. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, verse 1 says this. Then the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting, <clears throat> desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. 
He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. And so you see here in Matthew 16, the Lord is addressing the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But he's using a similar illustration in both instances. They're slightly different, but there is a similar illustration. You see, these are two different occasions. There's a separate occasion in Matthew 16, and now here in Luke 12, a totally different occasion. But the Lord is using the same kinds of illustrations to make a point. And our Lord is free to do that. Now it's important that you notice this because you know, there are Bible critics that are very picky. They nitpick. They'll find every little thing they can find in the Bible to try to disprove the, the reliability of the Word of God. And they'll say, well, look, in Matthew 16 and Luke 12, it's a similar account, but they contradict because, you know, in Matthew, he talks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. and Luke, he's talking to the people. And the account is a little different. You see, there's a contradiction. No, there's not a contradiction. See, the Bible critics, what they fail to understand or take into account is the context. Context is king. You need to read the context. What's going on? You know, why do the, uh, the critics think that they can pigeonhole Jesus, that he can only say or give one illustration only at one time? No, he gives illustrations. He will give those same illustrations time and again at different times. He has the freedom to do that. You see, these Bible critics just nitpick because they're trying to find a reason a reason to justify their unbelief. In reality, they turn out to be hypocrites when they do that. Because when it comes to other things, they don't do the same thing. They don't hold the same bar to other things in life. Now, in Matthew, the Lord is blasting the wickedness of the religious leaders. In Luke, our Lord continues to withstand the hypocrisy of the people. Now, what is this illustration all about? Clouds in the west and a south wind. Again, you'll be amazed what Bible critics will do here. They'll use this illustration to demonstrate the inaccuracy of the Bible regarding weather forecasting. Some of them get that petty. Okay? The thing about these critics is that they demonstrate just how ignorant they really are. When they try to use these verses to say that the Bible is inaccurate because these things are not true according to them. Again, let us realize something very, very simple. Jesus was speaking to the weather patterns of Israel, not the United States, not Brazil, not China. He was speaking of what happens in their neck of the woods. Okay? Remember where Israel is. Israel sits east of the Mediterranean Sea. So when a cloud arose from the west, meaning the Mediterranean Sea, people knew a shower was coming. Think about it. If you lived in other parts of, the, of this country, you get this, right? In the East Coast, we get what are called lake weather effects. The closer you are to the five great lakes, the more snow you're going to get in the winter when there's a winter storm. People know this. The storm, the wind whips that up, the waters off the lakes and blows it across the East Coast. Then you have nor'easters. Right? If you've been to the Northeast, you know what those are. You know, you know you need to hunker down when those nor'easters come. You see, the south wind for Israel meant 
that a great blast of hot air was probably coming from the northern part of Africa or Arabia and was going to bring about a strong heat wave. We know the same thing here. Same things happen here. When there's a strong gust of wind, a uh, windstorm coming, we know we're going to have certain effects. Simple science. But Bible critics nitpick, nitpick, nitpick at things they don't understand. Children, as you learn more and more in school, you too will be able to tell why sometimes it rains and at other times it gets very hot. Again, I lived in the East Coast. Some of you have, have as well. You, you know when there's a hot rain, you can go outside and the rain is coming down and it's warm. Feels good. I grew up in San Francisco. We didn't have that. Our rain was always bitter cold. It penetrated. It hurt. In the East Coast, when that rain comes down and it's warm, it feels good. Right? Simple stuff, children. Again, don't let the Bible critics get you on this. Simple. Okay? They just nitpick at things they don't understand. And demonstrate just how hypocritical they themselves are. Now, I also want you to notice another thing that our Lord is doing here, which may not be as noticeable at first. He is drawing from the people's basic understanding of the Bible, particularly what we now call the Old Testament. Remember, at this point, that was the only Bible, the Old Testament. And he is actually alluding to the Old Testament in this illustration. And he, and he does this, it builds to what he's going to say at verse 56. You see, our Lord here is alluding to 1 Kings 18, 43-44. At that point, at that portion of scripture, we read this. 1 Kings 18, 43-44 says this. And said to a servant, go up now, look toward the Mediterranean Sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again seven times. And it came to pass at the seventh time that he said, Behold, there arise a little cloud out of the sea, like a man's hand. And he said, Go up and say unto Ahab, Prepare thy chariot, and get thee down, that the rain stop thee not. A small little cloud was arising, like the size of a man's fist. But he knew that a storm was coming, that the drought was coming to an end. And the Lord is, you know, he's drawing on that illustration. It may not be as apparent at first, but there is, he is drawing at that. The hot winds of Sinai or the Arabian desert <clears throat> is usually spoken of in prophecy as a form of judgment or misery. Now, children, think about it. Think about when it gets really hot in Las Vegas. At some point, it gets so hot, it's miserable to be outside. Isn't it? It's miserable to be out there. Yes, it's a dry heat, but still miserable. You see the plastic slides in the playground? They get too hot to enjoy, don't they? Burn your, your legs when you're trying to go down. You don't want to be on that. Well, Lord Jesus is again alluding to the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 4, verse 11 through 12, we read this. At that time shall be said to this people into Jerusalem, I dry wind of the high places in the desert toward the daughter of my people, not to fan nor to cleanse. Even the full wind from those places shall come unto me. Now also will I give sentence against them. Well, he's basically saying, look, you know when there's a hot wind, there's going to be heat coming from the desert. The hot winds from the desert coming to Israel, and you know it's going to be a high heat. It's going to be heat that doesn't really fan us. You've been out there when there's a blast of wind that comes through and it's just hot air. <clears throat> it does not feel good, right? These are simple illustrations that our Lord is, making to, is using to make a point. And if you are an ardent reader of literature, right, especially literature prior to the 20th century, you'll notice that many authors take illustrations from the Word of God constantly without necessarily citing chapter and verse, right? Think about 
Moby Dick, right? Who are the main characters in that novel? You have Elijah, you have Ishmael, you have Captain Ahab. All allusions to the Bible, right? Today, a lot of literature, there's not a lot of allusion to the Word of God. Even in Hollywood, many movies back 50s, even into the 60s, made allusions to the Word of God, and people understood it. People understood it. In our society today, as we drift further and further away from scriptures, people don't make these allusions anymore because they don't have that knowledge of God's word. But that is what our Lord is doing here. He's making these allusions. He's drawing for illustrations from God's word so that people, the people know what he's doing here. They get it. And brethren, this is why we all should be constantly in the word of God. Because in the New Testament, it's all you know, illustrations and allusions. The doctrines are built upon doctrine from the Old Testament. When people read through the Old Testament, especially the books of Moses, they, sometimes they don't get it. Because they don't see the connection with the New Testament. But when you read the word of God as it should be intended, you know, book of Hebrews can be a hard book to understand. But if you have read Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you will get those connections. They will start to make sense and become more clear. You should be in the Word of God each day. Be as familiar as you can. You see, the Lord tells us here in this text, he calls us to discern the times, to discern the times. Using what? How are we to discern the times? We're to use the word of God to discern the times. But if you're not in the word, how can you discern? How can you discern? See, the word of God is that lamp that illuminates the events around us. It helps you to discern, to judge what is going on in the world. Therefore, brothers and sisters, I urge you, always be in the word of God each day. Each day. Not just for your spiritual nourishment, but also to make sense of what's going on in the world. Look at me over verse 56. You hypocrites, you, do, you can discern the face of the sky and the earth. But how is it that you not you do not discern this time. Luke writes Jesus' words on this occasion as, do not discern this time. While Matthew records Jesus' words at that other occasion as, you cannot discern the signs of the times. <clears throat> so the emphasis, a difference of emphasis here. What does Christ mean here in our text in Luke 12? He's not thinking of, of what we think of eschatology today. Okay? He's speaking to the people of his time at that moment. He is not speaking to us necessarily regarding future events. He's speaking of the events that already have come to pass at his time among Israel. You see, the people had a general knowledge of the word of God. And they were waiting for the return of the Messiah. We've seen this already as we've gone through Luke. <clears throat> Recall, 400 years was Israel outside the promised land. <clears throat> and they were afflicted before Moses was called by Jehovah God to deliver them. Now, fast forward, 400 years had elapsed since God had sent his last prophet to speak to Israel. And what has happened in these 400 years since Malachi? In those 400 years, Israel had also been afflicted. They were ruled, conquered, and dominated by Babylon, and then by Persia, and then by the Greeks, and now by the Romans. And Israel was groaning. Where? Is the Messiah. Where is the one that has been promised that will deliver us from our enemies? 
and reestablish the throne of David. Where is he? You see, they knew the prophecies. They knew there was a Messiah coming and they were waiting for him. And the word of God had given so many prophecies about the Messiah, the Christ. Yet here he was. And they still did not grasp the truth that he had come. And this is why Jesus says, you do not discern this time. Beginning with Genesis 49 verse 10, where we read this, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That was a prophecy of the coming Messiah. But who is this Shiloh? Who is Shiloh? The Hebrew name means tranquility. Again, another name for the Messiah, the Christ. Jacob saw Christ coming out of the tribe of Judah, and a scepter would belong to him. Here was a sign of who the Messiah would be, of the tribe of Judah. Then we read that Jesus himself was to be born of a virgin, as a prophet Isaiah had prophesied. Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah calls this a sign. As Jesus said, can you not discern the sign of this time? We know then that Jesus was indeed born of an actual virgin. Her name was Mary. The sign had been given. It had occurred. He was actually born of an actual virgin, as Isaiah prophesied. And he was given a name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Children, do you know what Emmanuel means? Emmanuel means God with us. God with us. And again, the critics will come in and say, well, his name wasn't Emmanuel, it was Jesus. Is Jesus Emmanuel? He is. John tells us as much. In the Gospel of John, it makes it very clear that Jesus is Emmanuel. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God among us. Where was Jesus born? Was he born in Nazareth? He was not. Was he born in Egypt? He was not. He was born in Bethlehem. Children, do you know what Bethlehem means? House of bread. And is not Jesus the bread of life? What is the prophecy regarding where Jesus was to be born? Micah chapter 5 verse 2 tells us. Micah prophesied of where Jesus would be born. He says this, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, thou, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall, come, <clears throat> shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Again, God with us. The chief priests and the theologians knew very well that this was prophesied of Shiloh, of Emmanuel, of Messiah. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 3. When Herod, the king, had 
heard these things, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him. See, they knew something was going on. They understood the sign. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judah, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. They knew. They saw the sign. They knew the time had come. They knew that Jesus, the Messiah, Emmanuel, they knew Shiloh had been born. And what was their, what was their reaction? To go and worship the governor, the ruler, the heir of the Davidic king, throne? No. No. They sought to kill him. And they slaughtered all male children that were born in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. That is a heart of man. That is a heart of unbelievers. They would rather kill God than worship him. Even when the sign is given. We know. We know the critics, the unbelievers, will rage. If God would just show me a sign, I will believe. It's nonsense. They would rather kill the sign than to believe. Because they want to be their own rulers. They want to be their own gods. They don't want anyone to tell them what to do, how to live. They want to live their own way. That is the heart of man. Wickedness. But you see, they knew. They saw the sign. The, the promised seed, the promise that was made to Adam and Eve, that from them the deliverer would come. The signs were there. Then Jesus <clears throat> went about to prove that he was a long-awaited deliverer. <clears throat> of whom Moses was but a foreshadow of. How? What well, we read in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice for henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus was born. He is the son that has been given. Is not Jesus wonderful, full of wonders and miracles? That's what that means. That he is full of wonders and signs. And have we not read all the wonders he has performed up to this point? How did those in Israel not see what Jesus did to heal the multitudes and to cast out the devils? He did this in front of them. He demonstrated that he is Shiloh, that he is Emmanuel, that he is the Messiah. He healed the people. And the people could not deny it. They found other reasons to try to, dis, uh, you know, to discount what he had done. They sought even to try to kill him instead to embrace that he is the long-awaited Messiah. You see, they were looking for a Messiah according to their own imaginations. A Messiah that they can manipulate and control. And here is the Messiah who was going counter to what the people thought the Messiah would be. And is not Jesus the counselor? By bringing the word of God to all, he gives us the word of God. Is not Jesus the mighty God, Jehovah? John tells us as much. <clears throat> is he not the everlasting father? in that we are born of him by the Holy Spirit. 
Is he not the Prince of Peace who has made peace and broken the enmity between God and the elect? He has brought peace between God and the elect. He is now the one that sits on David's throne forever. Most of all this was made very manifest to Israel prior to his death. And then upon his resurrection and ascension, it was very clear. He is the one from whose scepter will never depart from the tribe of Judah. For he reigns even now. For the sake of time, I will give one more sign that was given <clears throat> and that he should have seen. Isaiah 35, verse 4 through 6 says this, God will come and save you. Think about that phrase. God will come and save you. Who is God and who came to save us? What does Jesus mean? God saves. God saves. God will come and save you. <clears throat> then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. What have we read so far to, uh, to Luke chapter 12? Have not the, blind, the eyes of the blind been opened and the ears of the deaf been unstopped? The people of Israel saw it. It happened before them. Isaiah continues. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart and the tongue of the dumb sing. Have we not read this from Jesus? His miracles. He done this. He has done this. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. <clears throat> Have we not seen this? Jesus says, I am the living water. All who drinks from me shall never thirst again. Drink from Jesus and you will never thirst again. Of course, there are many, many more prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by Jesus. All signs pointing that he is that Messiah. He did it in their presence. And this is why Jesus calls them hypocrites. They pretended to know the word of God. They said they would read the word every day, and no doubt they did. But they did not read it with discernment, with the care that his word deserves. <clears throat> they imposed their own expectations and interests on what they read and therefore missed that the promised seed was ministering among them all this time. <clears throat> they missed seeing that God dwelt among them. They could not discern the time. We just read from Numbers how the cloud and the fire dwelt among them. The glory of God dwelt among them. They saw it. And in John chapter 1, we are told that he, Jesus, is the glory of God incarnate. Dwelt among them and they failed to see the sign of this time, of that time. Brethren, let this be a warning to us all. We must not only read the Bible every single day, but we must read it carefully, attentively, and with much discernment. We must see that Jesus is who he says he is. All the signs point that he is Shiloh. He is Emmanuel. He is the Messiah, the Christ. And that in him alone is salvation because he is the God who saves. There are many prophecies <clears throat> yet to be fulfilled before Jesus Christ comes. And all these prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled point to his coming. They all point to his coming. Just like all these Old Testament prophecies pointed to his first coming, many of Israel missed it. And we are no different. Many, many people 
in the church today. See the signs. They read the signs. They read the New Testament prophecies. And they misdiagnose. They misforecast. We have many, many men and some women that will predict Christ is returning in 1994 or whatever. And they make these predictions. And when they don't come to pass, we all know, first of all, you should know they're false prophets even when they make that prediction. But we know when they make those predictions, it doesn't come to pass, we are to mark them out as false prophets. We cut off, cut ourselves off from them, ignore them. Of course, they always make up reasons why the prophecies didn't come to pass. And this is very popular among Pentecostal and charismatic churches, not just Jehovah's Witnesses. Charismatics do this a lot. Oh, the, you know, the wars in the Middle East, they are pointing to this thing, and there's always you know, these prophecies that they come out with. And those books that they write that two weeks later after the prophecy, supposed prophecy should have happened, they go on sale for 25 cents a piece, Right? But we know that there are prophecies written in the word of God about the end times that, that we're now living in. <clears throat> Daniel spoke of the coming 70 weeks and basically informed his readers, look carefully as history unfolds before you because as the 70th week approaches, Christ will come. And all these 68 weeks leading up to his birth are paving the way for his coming. You think Alexander the Great was an accident? Him conquering all the territory he conquered was an accident? God made sure that happened so that everyone was speaking one language. That's why the Greek New Testament, the New Testament was written in Greek so that people can read it. It was a common language. Do you think it was an accident that the Romans were building all these roads throughout their empire? This made it very easy for the gospel to spread throughout the Roman Empire so quickly. All these things, the Lord was preparing for the gospel to spread. <clears throat> One of the criticisms against the prophetic hermeneutic called historicism, which is my position, is that it tends to be Eurocentric. People say, well, can't believe in historicism because it, it's always Eurocentric. But when you look at it, to me, it's a very weak and desperate argument. Daniel's prophecies, the prophecies that are given in Daniel, are, were regionally specific. Think about it. Think about the prophecies of Daniel. Who is he talking about? These empires that are rising up. They were from that region, southern Europe and the Middle East. Daniel himself prophesied of the coming Greek empire under Alexander the Great and his four generals. It's there. It's very clear to see today. And then he prophesies of the Roman Empire, the empire of iron and clay. Very specific. The book of Revelation focuses upon what unfolds in the Middle East and Europe and its impact upon the church around the world into every continent. So are we discerning the signs, even today, of what the Lord is doing in our own midst? Dispensational eschatology, which teaches about, depending on what brand it is, pre, mid, post-trib stuff, and then the secret rapture, is always on a hunt for the one Antichrist. They made movies about this. There's a bunch of books about this. <clears throat> but they have missed the obvious signs of the times, and therefore is a position, uh, uh, dispensationalism is a position to be ignored. The book of Revelation makes it very clear that the harlot has her seat on the city of seven hills, which is the seat of seven hills, Rome. That the Antichrist will blaspheme and rule from within the church. That the Antichrist, that whore of Babylon, will reign for 1,260 years and rule over the spiritual and secular realm. So when you look at church history, who fits that description? There's only one man 
or one office that can fit that description. And that one office that is then fulfilled by different men throughout history is the papacy. It is the papacy. Every man that sits in St. Peter's chair and takes on the name of Pope and the title Vicar of Christ is that Antichrist prophesied in Scripture. Think about it. First of all, recall what vicar means. Vicar is a Latin word. Vicar means in the place of. That's what vicar means. Jesus' death on the cross was a vicarious death. Vicarious death in a place of us. He died in our place so that we can live. Vicar means in the place of. You know what vicar, the word vicar is translated into, from, into the Greek? The Greek word for vicar is anti. That's the Greek word for vicar, anti. In other words, the, the papacy themselves have told you who, they are, who, who the papacy is in their very word. Vicar of Christ literally means in the Greek anti-Christos. Literally. Can't get around it. Literally means that. The Apostle John tells us to discern this very truth at 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, where he writes this, Little children, it is the last time. Time. And as, and as ye have heard, the Antichrist shall come. What does this have to do with the very visible and physical second coming of Jesus Christ? Everything. If you read the New Testament carefully. For once the papacy's reign comes to an end, we will see the restoration of Israel to the church. And we know that it is the papacy that is being prophesied because one man cannot rule for 1,260 years. It's an office. But when his reign comes to an end, you will see a very mass and extensive conversion of Jews that will take place. Where they will repent of their national sins and rejecting Jesus and embrace him as their Messiah. And just as Acts chapter 2 saw thousands of conversions in one single day, oh brethren, a day is coming when the number of Jews coming to Jesus will exceed what happened on Pentecost. The Lord can do it. He's demonstrated he can do it. Acts chapter 2. All of this will be a great indicator that the coming of Christ is even closer. Are you discerning the times? For what will precede this conversion is also the fullness of the Gentiles, when the, all the nations of the world will have heard the gospel. Brethren, <clears throat> the gospel has spread farther and wider in the last 200 years than at any point in history. And now with the internet, is expanding even faster. Are you aware of this? How many of you have ever heard of the 1040 window? Longitude and latitude coordinates for a part of the world where less than 1% of the population are Christians. This will include Northern Africa through Middle East into Asia. That 1040 window is being penetrated more and more with the gospel in different ways. Tribe Tribes and language groups continue to get the gospel in their own language year by year. Praise the Lord. Yet there is still a lot of work for the church. Are you praying for that labor? Are you praying for this to happen? As you know, I go to Latin America. You think Latin America is totally reached? It is not. There are so many language groups in Latin America that speak their own language that many of these people don't speak Spanish. And they have yet to hear the gospel. Are you praying to see this happen? See, there's going to be the fullness of the Gentiles. Romans talks about this very clearly. And the restoration of Israel. And the fall of the Antichrist. And all these are signs that are pointing to the second coming of Christ. Those who have yet to believe in Jesus, I say this, do not be found among the hypocrites. 
Many deniers of Jesus would deny Jesus because they, they listen too much to critics and enemies of God who try to disprove the Bible. The Bible's been around for thousands of years. Not one critic yet has been able to disprove the word of God. Carl Sagan, the other quadriplegic guy, I can't remember his name right now. All these smart people come and gone. None of them have been able to disprove the word of God. All the proof of who Jesus is is clear and it is recorded. Every single critique of the Bible that has been offered has been thoroughly answered and refuted. Man's remaining argument is only to mock and ridicule the truth. For they have no other argument against God in this Bible. You have all these comedians, late night talk show hosts that will mock the word of God because that's all they can do. They have no argument against it. Yet these same people are the ones that always insist on pursuing truth. That is hypocrisy at heart. That is hypocrisy on the part of the unbelievers. And Jesus calls out all hypocrites to repent of the rebellion against God. Verse 57. <clears throat> Yea, and why even of yourselves judge ye not what is right? When thou goest with thine adversary to the magistrate, as thou art in the way, give diligence. Thou mayest be delivered from him, lest he haul thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and the officer cast thee into prison. I tell thee, thou shalt not depart thence till thou hast paid the very last mite. The Lord here gives a parable and wise counsel as our great counselor. If you are ever being sued, you know, and you know that you're going to lose in that lawsuit, it is better trying to settle out of court, isn't it? It's better to come to terms, to try to get better terms than you would once you get into the courtroom so that you don't lose everything, including your freedom. When companies are sued, how many times do you hear it? In order to protect their brand and reputation, they will attempt to settle out of court, right? You hear all the time, companies get sued, and what, do they, what happens? They settled out of court, and it's always undisclosed, because when you settle out of court, it's not public, it's private. But, one, but if you want to fight it and you go to court, it's going to become public. Those who are prudent will do their best to remain out of public record. Therefore, settlements tend to be sound counsel. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Settle out of court. <clears throat> Excuse me. However, why does our Lord Jesus bring up this parable now in the midst of this context? about discerning the signs of the time, about bringing division among families we saw two weeks ago, of not knowing the time of Christ's coming. What does going to court have to do with anything in this context? When we call the immediate audience, he is addressing the hypocrites, those who do not believe in him as the Messiah, the Christ. He is saying to us here today, discern your time. Discern your time. Are you with Christ, in other words? That is what he is intending to convey with this parable. That all those who do not believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior are those who are walking along the way to the magistrate, to the judge, who will find them guilty of all crimes and sins. The adversary that's bringing them to court is the law of God. The law of God which accuses all non-believers as guilty in the eyes of God. The law of God is the accuser that tells you, you are a sinner, and I'm taking you to court to be judged where you will be found guilty of breaking the law. All Ten Commandments. Think of the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments say, you are guilty. And when you stand before the judge, he's going to rule you guilty and then throw you to prison. But there is an advocate. There is a defense lawyer, which the law of God, <clears throat> who is accusing, actually points to the one who is guilty and says, the only viable defense for you, guilty unbeliever, 
is to settle with that lawyer. And if you settle with that lawyer, you will not be condemned. And the law of God will have justice settled because that lawyer has paid in full all which you, the accused, you, the one who is guilty of violating the law of God, demands as payment for all sins. And Christian, you were such a person. You were guilty of all sins before God. But you gave heed. You discerned the sign of your time. The law of God condemned you as a liar, a thief, a fornicator, a God-hater. And you knew you were guilty of these and many, many other sins. You saw that Jesus alone is the advocate, this lawyer who alone can remove your guilt, for he alone in himself has satisfied the justice which the judge of all mankind demands from all sinners. And because you believed in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your only deliverer, you have been declared justified, righteous, and innocent. For the righteousness of Jesus, the innocence of the Messiah was imputed or transferred to your account, wiping you clean of all guilt. You knew that Going before the judge on your own merits meant only one verdict. Guilty on all counts. And an eternal sentence of damnation in the lake of fire. For the justice of God <clears throat> requires you to pay for all your sins. As it says here in verse 59, to the very last might, to the la very last penny. The value of God's law is so high that not one person besides Jesus could pay what the law is owed. The last set. And with God, there is no release date. And you are found guilty. The sentence for the guilty is an eternal sentence where the guilty will be cast into outer darkness and eternal loneliness. You will never see anyone in the lake of fire. You will be there alone, being tormented for all eternity. And no one will ever depart from there. Your sentence is forever. And after a hundred billion years, if you want to mark it in time, you still have another eternity to go. All because you failed or you refused to settle with Jesus Christ before your death. Because at death comes the judgment. This is your time. The time is now. The time for you is now. Forget the eschatology. Forget who the Antichrist is and all that stuff. Where are you right now in your walk with Jesus Christ? This is your time. Do you, can you discern it? You are on the long way in your life to that judgment, to that courtroom where the Father sits as judge. And if you die and stand before him on your own merits and say, well, I was a good person. I never killed anyone. I never murdered. I never did anything that was bad, quote unquote. Law says, if you lie, you're guilty. How many of here have never lied? If you raise your hand, you're a liar. How many people here have ever stolen? If you say you've never stolen, I'm calling you a liar. Think about it. You're at work. How many of you have ever done something that's personal on company time? You've stolen from your employer. How many of you ever lusted in your heart? You're guilty. Three, right there. Forget, we can keep going. One is enough. And all of us are already born with one strike against us. And that one strike is sufficient to send us to eternal punishment. And that is the guilt of Adam's first transgression. 
This is the time. Can you discern it? You're on this way. You're on the way to the day of judgment. All of us are going to die. Not one of us is going to live forever in this body. We are all going to die. And the law has found you guilty. It's just a matter of you standing before the judge for that final sentence to be passed. Discern your time. Come to Jesus Christ. Come to the Lord. Settle with him. Cast off whatever things you think are good in of yourselves and say, no, Jesus, you alone is my, are my righteousness. You alone can free me from my guilt. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, you will know Shiloh. You will then know that when you die, you will enter into eternity and eternal tranquility. You will dwell with God because Jesus saved you. Because when you stand before the judge, you will not stand naked and ashamed. And whatever you try to do before God and say, well, I did philanthropy. I did good things. I gave to people. I, whatever. That's like putting fig leaves on you. That's not what Christ wants. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want fig leaves. He wants the lamb, the skins of a lamb covering you. That's the only thing that's acceptable to him. Are you clothed with Jesus Christ? Are you clothed with his righteousness? That is the only thing God is going to see. And if you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, because you have believed in him as the Messiah, as your only Savior, then will the Father say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your eternal rest. But if you stand there before God in fig leaves, he's going to cast you from his sight as a wicked person. Where the only thing you're going to know for all of eternity is misery. Misery and torment. Today is your day. If you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, repent of your sins. Repent of your sins and look upon Jesus for your salvation. Walk with Christ. Confess your sins to him. Believe that he alone is your savior. And you will be declared justified at, at that very moment. He will declare you righteous. For the righteousness of Christ will be transferred to your account. And the Father will say, not guilty. And the enmity that you have with the Father, with God, will be broken. And like Abraham, you will be called a friend of God. Discern your time. And walk with Christ. Let us stand as we close in prayer. <clears throat> Father God, we come before you in Christ to give you thanks for the preaching of your word, for the word you have given to us from Luke chapter 12. Oh Lord, cause us to discern our time. Do we see Jesus as Shiloh, as Emmanuel, as the Messiah? Do we see Jesus as the God who saves? Oh Lord, I pray. May this be the case for everyone. For those who have yet to believe on Christ, we, we do pray that your spirit will work on them even now so that they may enter into the land of tranquility where God will dwell with them. Oh Lord, we pray, build up your people for the preaching of this word, that they may be strengthened and emboldened in Christ, seeing their great hope that they have, that in the journey of this life, they're not being brought to court to be judged guilty. But they are walking in this life to serve you and enjoy and gladness. So on that great day of judgment, you will call us 
to enter into our eternal rest. This we do pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.